It's all a little violent, isn't it? Fortresses and swords and shields and kingdoms and fields that can't be taken and death and life, it's all a little bit violent. Jesus says as much in his gospel reading, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent ones take it by force. The kingdom of God suffers violence, but the kingdom also comes with its own sort of violence, doesn't it? Luther was no stranger to this kind of divine violence. And he also wasn't a stranger to being someone who was called a violent one, someone who was turning the whole world upside down, someone who was messing everything up, someone who was way too violent. Let me remind you how Luther's story really got started. See, his father had saved up enough money. I think his father was some kind of a miner, something respectable like that. And he had saved up enough money to send his son, little Martin, off to be a lawyer. Very safe kind of a job, right? Very comfortable kind of a living. And then God got a hold of this Martin Luther. Some of you may know the story of how it happened. It was probably a day somewhat like today, except more stormy. Luther was walking from one village to the next, and he was caught in the middle of a big thunderstorm. And if you've ever been in a big thunderstorm, you know the power of thunder. You know the fear that a lightning strike can put into you. Well, Luther felt that fear, he felt that power, he felt the violence of that storm, and he prayed out to one of the saints, I think it was Saint Anne. Don't recommend this, Luther doesn't either, but this is how his story started. Oh, dear Saint Anne, if you deliver me, I'll, I'll give my life to God. I'll go and become a monk. And that's exactly what he did. He left the safe job of a lawyer, and he became that most dangerous of all creatures, a monk. Now, hopefully, that brings a little bit of a smile to your face, because if you picture a monk, you probably don't think of a warrior, do you? You don't think of someone who is fighting, and usually, that's not what monks did at all. There were those who worked, and there were those who fought, and then there were those who prayed. That was the work of the monks. But see, prayer can be quite dangerous. Prayer was quite dangerous for Brother Martin, who spent his days praying the Psalms. And something strange happens to you when you pray God's word. You start to get ideas. The words of Holy Scripture have a way of working themselves down into your heart, into your soul, and especially the Psalms. Luther's life was completely consumed in all kinds of useless stuff as a monk. He would say later, I wasted so much of my life scrubbing floors, trying to impress God with works done for no one. But but the one thing that was so important to the Reformation was this, that he was praying the Psalms over and over and over. And this is what I mean by violence. God's word has a way of interrupting us, doesn't it? God's word has a way of arresting us. God's word has a way of changing us. And what happened to Luther in the monastery was that he got these ideas, you know? He got these ideas out of the Psalms, and he said, I've got to do something about it. The kingdom of heaven comes sometimes quite violently. And to everyone else, it probably looked like nothing much. But within Martin Luther's own heart, within his own mind, God was at work. God was engaged in this divine warfare 
of tearing down idols and raising in place of idols true and living faith. And the rest, well, the rest is history. You can watch the movie. You should do that on Tuesday. Everybody, this is the rule. You have to watch the Luther movie on Tuesday, and you can see how everything unfolded after that. And you'll see in that story, if you're not familiar with it, you really should watch that movie. Um, But you'll see that Luther's life was not a safe kind of a life. It wasn't a comfortable kind of a life. It was a kind of dangerous thing. His life was wanted. He had to be kidnapped by his own friends. It was a violent sort of a life. That's what happens when God's word comes. When God's word and spirit come and take a hold of you, it will feel violent. Now, not always, right? We don't set up some kind of experience and say, unless you've had this sort of experience, you're not really truly converted. And yet at its heart, at its core, conversion is always violent. Repentance is not the kind of thing, oh, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to do better now. Repentance is death to the old man and new life in its place. And so it's like Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven comes violently. And the violent ones push it along. Now, in our translation, in that first sentence of our gospel reading today, that's not quite the way it went. Hear the words of Jesus again. He said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent ones take it by force. Now, that's true, isn't it? There are those who are opposed to God's word. When Luther was posting his 95 theses, when he was saying, hey, you know what? The church needs to change this practice and that practice. The church needs to stop doing this and start doing that. It's not like everybody said, oh, good point. I wish you would have pointed that out to us a little bit sooner. Luther had to suffer violence. But I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is getting at. It's true that the kingdom suffers, and Jesus knew that full well, but it is also true, we can put it positively, the kingdom comes with its own force, and God raises up men, God raises up prophets, God raises up reformers like Luther, and in our own day, God still raises up his people to use a bit of force. This same verse is translated quite differently in the Gospel of Luke. Here's how it goes in Luke. In Luke chapter 16, it says that from the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God is proclaimed, and everyone forces their way into it. Now, which is it? Is it that the kingdom suffers, and there's always opponents, and there's always people persecuting the truth, and the devil always is at work to undermine the advance of the gospel? Or is it that the kingdom is on the advance, that the gospel is proclaimed, that hearts are changed, and that God raises up warriors, sometimes monks, sometimes pastors, sometimes laymen, to be the ones who speak that word? Well, hopefully you've been around me long enough to know that when we set up these choices, you're supposed to say, how about both, pastor? (laughs) But the truth is, both things are part of the kingdom of God. There will be opponents, there will be persecutors, there will be mockers who scorn the truth of God's word, and there will also be those who push it on, who proclaim the word with force. 
clarified for us what Jesus means. But now, the good news of the kingdom comes with power. It is forced into the world. Jesus was the one who was forcing that word of God. Jesus came to bring this choice to Israel and indeed to the whole world. Will you follow me or will you go into darkness? The kingdom of heaven suffers violence to be sure, but violent people like Jesus himself push it along. See, Jesus could have, right? Jesus could have, at the first sign of opposition, he could have said, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) You know, you're the authorities, you're the Pharisees, you're the high priest, you're, you know, in charge. Let me just do whatever you say. That's what they tried to do to Luther, by the way, right? Will you or will you not recant, Martin Luther? We're not here to debate with you. We're just here to force the power of the papacy on you. Take it all back. And Luther could have stepped down and said, you're right. What do I know? I'm just a little monk. But see, God raises up violent men like Jesus, like John the Baptist, like Martin Luther, like pastors, like preachers. He raises up these men so that the word of God doesn't get pushed into a corner. How can John and Jesus be called violent, though, right? That seems so strange to us. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, after all. Jesus is the Comforter. Jesus is cool and calm and collected, isn't he? Well, it could be that this statement, that he was a violent one, was used pejoratively. You know, like they called the Lutherans, Lutheran. That was never meant to be a compliment, by the way. To be called a Lutheran was to be called, you know, dirt. It was to be called scum. Oh, you follow that guy, Luther. And eventually, the Lutherans said, at first, they protested. They said, no, we're not Lutherans. We're Christians. We're the true Catholic Church. But eventually they got tired of having to say that, and so they said, fine, call us Lutherans. Don't you suppose that it's likely that Jesus' opponents said he's too violent? Remember the kinds of things they said about him. Why do you not fast, Jesus? How come you're not following all the rules? How come you're working on the Sabbath day? You know, you're healing people. Your disciples are plucking grain. That's not allowed. You're being violent, Jesus. I think it's very likely that his enemies thought of Jesus and his apostles as far too different. They're turning the world upside down. And so what was used as a pejorative came to be in the mouth of our Lord. Okay, if you think I'm too violent, well, remember, the kingdom of heaven sometimes comes with a little bit of force. After all, isn't Jesus the one who said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church? By the way, that's not a defensive mechanism, right? Jesus isn't saying the church will stand against the onslaught of hell. He's doing it the other way around. The church has a mission into the world. The church has a goal. The church has a purpose. And the gates of hell won't stand against the preaching of the gospel. That statement, he is too violent, can certainly be heard as a criticism, but it can also be a positive thing, right? Only think of the difference between being called a liberator and an invader. To those who are safely within the boundaries of some kingdom, to those who are under the sway of a tyrant, when someone comes in and sets you free, you don't call them an invader, do you? You call that person a liberator. The liberating forces, the liberating army. That's what Jesus was. 
That's what Jesus still is. He is the one who comes not to liberate you from the oppression of the man or from the system that's just all stacked against you, but he comes to bring that greater freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from the condemnation that we rightly deserve, freedom from the fear of death. Where that comes in, where that message is proclaimed, you can be sure it's going to cause some upset. It's going to change things. It's going to feel a bit forceful, maybe even a bit violent. But it is the violence of a liberator, of the liberator, not the violence of an invader. It's the violence of men like Elijah. You remember the story of Elijah, don't you? The king of Israel at that time was a wicked man named Ahab, and he was married to maybe even a more wicked woman named Jezebel. If you're called a Jezebel, of course, that's not a compliment. It's even worse than being a Lutheran. (laughs) So God raised up Elijah to do battle with Ahab and Jezebel. And Elijah came, and Elijah sealed up the heavens, and there was no rain in Israel for three years. And Elijah came, and he confronted King Ahab, and Ahab looked at him and said, What are you doing here, you troubler of Israel? And Ahab shot right back, It's you who are the troubler, king. See who Jesus puts himself in league with? He says, I'm like Elijah. John's like Elijah. And that makes me like Elisha. See, after Elijah came, his follower, Elisha, was even more powerful. He was even more violent. If you remember the story, Elijah was taken up into heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha said, Elijah, if I can ask you of one thing, please give me a double portion of your spirit. And sure enough, Elisha received that double portion. Jesus is setting himself up for you to think of him this way. He is the greater Elisha. John was Elijah. Jesus is Elisha. And what he comes to do, what he comes to do is to smash idols. That's what the Reformation was all about. Might seem like it was a fight over doctrine, you know, doctrine, that old stuffy thing. But see, doctrine is life. What you believe in your heart is the engine that drives your whole life. And so if in your heart there are all kinds of lies, if in your heart there are all kinds of deceit, then your life will be covered in darkness. That idol needs to be destroyed. The fight over true doctrine, the fight over justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is not just some stuffy old debate that has nothing to do with real life. That is our life. Our life is in Christ and in his blood covering our sins so that my death, so that my death would be swallowed up in his life. That's violent kind of stuff, isn't it? The kingdom of heaven comes with violence sometimes and violent men have to push it on because, see, left to ourselves, we would run away from all this, wouldn't we? We like peace. We like calm. We like for everything to remain just as it is. But God wants to push things forward. God has a purpose for you. He has a goal for you. God does not want to leave you where you are, even as he did not want to leave his church in the lies of the Middle Ages. So he raised up men like Luther and the other reformers, and still to this day, he raises up men who will proclaim his word to you so that your sin may be cast away, so that whatever idols are in your, height, in your heart would be smashed down. 
Reformation Day is not a celebration of German ethnicity. We don't come into this place to celebrate beer and sausage and sauerkraut. Those things are all good in their place. Don't get me wrong. But we are not here to celebrate all things German. We are here to celebrate how God raises up his spirit and his word, how he still sends these things into our midst, into our hearts. And Reformation is as needed today as it ever was, don't you think? Look into the world all around you. You can look into your own heart and you can see the lies that are at work in your own life. But see, the gospel doesn't just come to individual hearts. The gospel also works in the world around us. And if you look into the world around us, what do you see? All kinds of wonderful truths being advanced or all kinds of idols in need of being smashed? The truth is we live in a world full of idolatry. Sure, no one is bowing down to Baal like they were in the days of King Ahab and Jezebel. No one is worshiping Asherah and things like that. But the lies of the devil work through the world. The lies of the devil would raise up in place of Baal and Asherah anything else other than the true and living God that you would fear or love or trust in. It is those idols that Jesus takes aim at this morning. It is those idols that need to be smashed in our own hearts and in the culture all around us. It is those things, it is those things that the kingdom of heaven comes to push away. And the wisdom of all of this is justified by her deeds. Now, I love that our gospel reading ends that way because usually when you come to church on Reformation Day, if you're at all aware of the Reformation, you know that the rallying cry was justification by faith, not justification by works. But here Jesus says that he will be justified by his works. And it's true. When you know that you are justified by faith, something strange happens. Your works start to show that. See, the strange paradox here is that when you are justified by grace through faith, you're actually able to do good works. Because then your good works aren't some kind of a ladder that you're climbing. You're not trying to show off to God, look how wonderful I am. But your works and your life become a matter of thanksgiving and praise. Jesus was justified by his works. And the works that he's speaking of here are the Holy Christian Church, the raising up of disciples after him. At that time in his own day, nobody thought he was anything all that special. They criticized everything that he did, even as they criticized John before him. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. And that same criticism was leveled against Luther and the reformers in the days of the Reformation, and it will be leveled against you now. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be justified by his grace and through faith, means that you don't have to pursue all the things that the world pursues. What's the latest thing? What are we supposed to talk about? What are we supposed to post about? What are we supposed to care about? You see, those are the idols right? Those are the things that the world all around you is trying to serve, trying to gain favor through. You don't have to pursue those things. You have something far better. You have a father in heaven who loves you, who has sent his son to bleed and die for you, who sends his spirit now to work this true and living faith in your hearts. 
so that you may be justified by faith and also proved right through your works. The world looks at the church now with a lot of scorn, doesn't it? The church is old-fashioned. The church is in the way. Christians are those who are blocking progress. Let them level their accusations against you. They have no power over you. For your wisdom will be justified by your works. That is, those works done in faith, those works done in love, those are the things that will actually last. When the next thing pops up and the next thing pops up and the next thing pops up and everyone is so busy chasing after all those things, let yourself be found doing the things that God has always told you to do. Loving your neighbor, forgiving those who sin against you, taking care taking care of the poor, taking care of those who are in need. And guess what? You will find that that wisdom is justified. That wisdom is justified both in God's sight and also in the sight of the world. The kingdom of heaven comes with violence. The kingdom of heaven comes with force. And violent men push it along. But here's the wonderful thing, that that which God hurts, he raises up. That which he puts to death, he raises to life everlasting. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen.